Once upon a time, we had a neurotic dog at our house. Actually, twice upon a time. But the one I'm thinking of particularly was a beautiful black lab named Shadow. Shadow was what we affectionately called an insane dog. We picked a lab for our home because our friends had labs who were gentle and playful, loved guests, never jumped on anyone, played well with everyone. Shadow did none of that. Britton, our oldest at that time, was younger than kindergarten. I can't remember his exact age, but it's been a while and I still have nightmares of Shadow pretending I'm hoping to be playful, running up to Brit, and rather than stop and play, just continue and plow him over. Brit learned to take a fall. He learned to hit back. He learned to get out of the way because he could never outrun, and Shadow became something that we had to deal with. She also had a fun game with cars in our neighborhood, as many dogs do. Our neighborhood was a big circle, and our street cut right through the middle. And so we didn't have a whole lot of cars that traveled down our street, and if they did, it was because they lived there or they were coming to see someone who lived on our street. And so Shadow did not have as much time as she wanted, I'm sure, to play this particular game. Here's the game. She would get on one side of the house when she heard the car coming before she could actually see it, she would start barking, loud and proud, beautiful Labrador bark. You know that sound. When the car got even with her, she took off to the other side of the house to get to that side of the fence, beat the car every time, bark, bark, bark until the car passed, and then she would quit. She'd come back and lay by the back door, which was her place. One particular occasion... I hear this happening inside, and it became something that we just understood what was going on where we didn't have to go look. I heard the barking on this side, bark, 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 hear the car come, I hear the dog running right behind our back door. She gets to this side and she says, bark, bark, and then silence. I wonder what happened. I think to myself, maybe she got away. Then I hear the barking in the front yard, and I thought, this could be good or this could be bad. Let's go find out. So I go out the front door. The car that has gone by has realized what has gone on, and so she slowed her car down. Shadow caught the car, and as I step out to see what's about to happen, Shadow finds this car, walks right up to it, shakes her tail, gives it a lick, turns back around, looks at me, and then just meanders her way back down the street <laughs> to me. She had been looking and waiting for this car all along. She finally found it, and she had no idea what she was supposed to do with it. No idea what you're supposed to do with a car. Today we find ourselves in the middle of a story in the book of John, the very first chapter, where we hear Jesus say the words that I said to Shadow so many different times. What do you want? What are you looking for? Before we read this passage, I know that some of you are note takers, and so I'm going to encourage you to do this. It'd be opposite the perforated section. We've used it twice now in the, in the service. It'd be opposite that, the sermon notes section. If you are one of those note takers, I would love for you to write down these two words because they're very important to what we're going to talk about. The two words are remain and stay. They sound very familiar, remain and stay. You write those down, and as I read this passage from John chapter 1, 
I would like you, as you hear a word, hear one of those words, remain or stay, or something that comes from those words, just circle it, check it, mark it, just so we can all be mindful of how many times it is mentioned. This is John chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 35. You can follow along. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Now, one of the important things to know about this particular passage is what happens and doesn't happen in the verses immediately preceding. If you back up just a bit, you will see that in this gospel, the gospel of John, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the other three gospels, there is no picture of the baptism of Jesus. But what we do get is John, the baptizer, telling us that he saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, remaining on Jesus. We get what happens after that moment in the water in this gospel. In this same passage, just before we read today, we can read that the baptizer called Jesus the Lamb of God, the Son of God. In other words, he knew exactly who Jesus was. From the moment he leapt in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Mary arrived, John the baptizer knew who Jesus was. And today again we read that he recognizes and realizes and announces the presence of the Lamb of God, leaping again to share this wonderful news with those around him. And this is the context of where we are this morning. It's the next day, and John the baptizer has these men who have followed him, and as he pronounces Jesus the Lamb of God, these two, Andrew, we learn, and another nameless disciple, we can guess who that might be, but we don't know for sure, turn, leave the baptizer, and walk to follow Jesus. And then we have this conversation that's like so many I have. A question is asked, and the answer to that question is another question. I don't know what to do with that. And then there's a statement. You've had those conversations before, I'm sure, where you leave the conversation and you're not quite sure what you're supposed to do or what was even said because there were questions and there were no answers and all of these things are going on at the same time. This is where we are. Now, we aren't sure how these disciples were following Jesus. Were they near or were they far? They didn't announce themselves because if you look again, it was Jesus that turned and noticed that they were following him. And he asked the question, what are you looking for? Your Bible may say, what do you want or what do you seek? You know, one of the things we learn about Jesus 
in these Gospels is that he is able to plow right through all of the, the minutiae to get to the real person. Jesus asks us, what are you looking for? Truth be told, some of us are looking for whatever it takes to get through the day. Some of us are looking for a job. Some of us are looking for justice and peace in our world, though nothing could startle us more than finding them, just like Shadow when she finally found that car. This is one of those great spiritual questions. What are you looking for? John spends the rest of his gospel trying to answer that very question. And there are a couple of themes that flow through the book that help us understand. One of those is the idea of seeing, of light, of revealing, and all of the opposites of those like blindness and darkness and hiding. That is a major theme that you see through the entire book of John. But there's also another theme, and since I've asked you to write down a couple of words already, you know what the other theme is going to be, the idea of staying and remaining and abiding. Jesus asked these two men, what are you looking for? I can imagine that they were quite surprised that he even noticed they were behind him But by asking their question, where are you staying, it's important for us to know that they didn't want to know the address. They didn't want to know where he was about to go lay his head for the night. What was important for them was to be at home with Jesus, to remain in his presence and to allow this first contact with this man to last. They wanted to get to know him. And the reason we know that this is what they meant is because the same word that's used for stay and remain and abide, it's found several times here in quick succession, starting in verse 29 all the way through where we read in 42. John the baptizer reminds us that the Spirit descended on Jesus and remained. These two disciples ask, where are you staying? And they go and see where he was staying and they stayed with him. Can you hear it over and over and over? Remain, remain, stay, stay, stay. In John 14, Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for his followers so that where he is, they may be also. And in John 15, he says, abide in me as I abide in you. The issue of where is Jesus so that I might abide in him is crucial in the gospel of John. These questions are not just about location. They're about relationship. I'm wondering if you have one of those relationships in your life. Is there someone who is going to be with you no matter what, period, end of discussion? Maybe this is a spouse. Maybe this is a best friend. Maybe this is a parent. Is there someone in your life that that comes to mind right now with whom you just need to stay, to abide to sit beside. Could it be that what we are all looking for, maybe without even knowing it, is a place to stay, a place to remain always? And could it be that Jesus is that place, a person who is himself a home, a place to belong, an entire way of life, 
Jesus responds to these two men, come and see. They do, they end up staying, and his story becomes their way of life. Jesus became their home. When Jesus says to these two, come and see, do you think they were thinking very logically? Let's think for a moment about what first century Judeans thought about this man, Jesus. From the middle of nowhere, Nazareth, born to a single mother, parentheses, who's his father anyways, this man says to these two, come and see. I'm wondering if we would go. Knowing what we know about the man, would we go? In hindsight, we would all say, well, sure, maybe. It makes more sense, I think, than rather to come and see if that were reversed, if we were able to see where we were headed first and then make the decision, right? We want to have an idea. I want to open the maps application, and I want to know where I'm about to go before I start making turns. We have a new driver in our house. He doesn't go anywhere without checking the map first because he doesn't want to waste gas because he's got to pay for it. So he's going to find the shortest, fastest route. He wants to know the direction that he's going in before he gets in the vehicle to move. But if we follow all the way through John's book, Jesus tells us in chapter 29, comes back to this beginning, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The seeing, you see, isn't the important part. It's the accepting of the invitation. Jesus' invitation to come and see is precisely the invitation to which the rest of John's gospel is the response. And this makes me wonder what might happen if we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing, exactly what we love to do, and God steps in and asks for a change of direction. How might we respond? If he were to say at that point, come and see what I have for you, but God, I love what I'm doing. I'm really good at it. People count on me. Yeah, but come and see. Come and see. Or when we believe one thing about a particular issue and then that thought or belief gets challenged in whatever way, how do we respond when those deeply held convictions become challenged and questioned. How do we respond? Do we come and see? What are you looking for, says Jesus, to people who were told by someone else where he could be found? Jesus says, come and see, to people who wondered if they had a place in his story. I think that the thing that moves people from what are you looking for to come and see is this story that we've been asked to tell. It's the story of the church's home, the place from which we draw hope and strength in the person of Jesus. And the best way to tell that story, you know what it is, is with our lives. If we are not willing to invite others into this faith, what does that say about our relationship with God? I understand that we show excitement in different ways. I could be the most excited I've ever been, and there's probably two people in the room who could tell. Jill is one of them, and one of you would surprise me. 
There's something that happens in my eye, I'm told, if I get really, absolutely, completely excited. My first World Series game that I went to, as a baseball person, that was a big, big deal. You would have thought it were a funeral had you not known me and realized how excited I was. Jill knew. She was beside me and could feel me shaking. But if someone were to walk by, they would have no idea. Now, some of you get excited, and the world knows. Because they have to know what's going on in your world. And I completely get it. It's not who I am. No matter how we show our excitement, one thing is clear. When we see something that we've been looking for, when we finally catch that car that has driven by, we want to tell someone about it. And when we tell someone about it, we are inviting them into this same story. Now, I know that you have been the one at some point who was not at the game when everybody else was there, and so you get to sit through the listening of the crucial moments of that game that everyone is telling from their point of view. You've been in the room, and you've heard it. You weren't there, and maybe you don't even care. But I want to present an opportunity for us to care for one another in that when you are the only one in the room who hasn't heard the story yet of that crucial moment of the game, someone's just trying to invite you into the story. They're not trying to rub it in that you weren't there. They probably are, but you need to understand and yourself, just figure out, okay, they just want me to be a part of the group because they don't want you to be left out, right? That's what we're f- talking about. I've also been a part of a conversation when everyone has been at the same game, and they're going to rehash the whole thing, moment by moment, play by play, just to make sure that everyone understood the vantage point from which they saw this game, all with the same goal to ensure that we are all on the same page And maybe this is the larger point when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and sharing this story. Our primary job is to see and to share. Not threaten, not coerce, not intimidate, but simply to see and share. Jesus doesn't answer the two disciples' question, but he invites them to come and see, and guess what? They do. They come and see not only where Jesus was staying, but they stuck around. They remained to see all that will follow. Isn't evangelism nothing more than noticing what God is doing in our lives, sharing that with others, and inviting them to come be a part of the story, to come and see for themselves? Our mission at First Baptist Norman is to love people, to teach the Word, and to live the journey of life together. This passage touch on all, touches on all three, but I think I love what it says about living the journey of life together. We share our stories about what God is doing. Like we heard this morning with our upward basketball, we hear those stories and we get excited about what God is doing in young people's lives. And we can't wait to see what God is going to continue to do through them. Wonderful things are happening. Stories are being shared Lives are being lived out together, and because they shared that with us today, it is now our story. Jesus asks us to come and see, and we also ask those around us whom we trust to come and see with us, to come live life with us. And as we live life together, I can't help but imagine that our faith grows as we follow this invitation to come and see over and over again. See if these ring true for you. As we see kindness offered and find a way to practice it ourselves, 
as we gratefully receive the generous gifts of others and then learn to share from what we have been given. As we are prayed for and we learn to remember to pray for others. As we experience forgiveness and then seek reconciliation where it has been broken between us. As we hear the call of justice and join others in working for it. Come and see what God is doing. As soon as John recognizes Jesus, he pronounces that here is the Lamb of God. And two of John's disciples run after him. They catch up with Jesus, have an interesting conversation. And then Andrew runs off to find his brother Peter. Andrew's always running off. Andrew's the one who brought the child with the loaves and the fish. He's the one who later brings the Gentiles to uh, Jesus, he's always bringing to Jesus. He brings his brother Peter. Peter does so much telling that he will be a foundation on which the church will be built. To read this passage is to understand and get lost in the cycle of listening and telling and retelling this story of Jesus. Now, I need to share a little secret about our pastor. He's not here, so I can talk about him. He's, if you don't know, he's with Wilson in Phoenix this weekend for a gymnastics meet. Kind of a big one to go all the way to Phoenix for Wilson. So be, be in prayer for them as they're traveling. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about this Come and See series through Easter. And one of the things that he has talked about, that we have talked about, is a vision that he's found that has come to him that has, uh, frankly, scared me a little bit. And so I want to talk to you about it because we need your help. Here's the vision. If you were here last week, you heard him talk about the numbers of people who come to our church throughout the week. Hundreds, literally, people come here. What if we worked as a congregation to make sure that we had someone here welcoming people into our facility for every one of those programs? What would that look like? Every day, nearly, there's a slice of Norman who comes between our walls, and I'm wondering what might happen if we were standing at the doors, welcoming people in, answering their questions, and that was the sole purpose of what we were doing. Our pastor has one of the biggest hearts that I've ever known. And when he said that to us, we all went, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm asking for your help trying to think about what that organization might look like. Some of you hear that. The first time I heard it, I, I begin to cry. Some of you hear that and think, I know exactly what to do. I just heard you, and I know from A to Z the steps we need to go through to make this happen. You may be who we need to talk to to make this a reality. It's a wonderful task for us to pray about, think about, and actually move on. Because I'm wondering what might happen should we stand at the doors to this building and we say, welcome, how may we help you? What are you looking for? Let's pray.